Well, good morning. It's terrific to see you all here as we gather to be encouraged and challenged by the Word of God. Uh, those online, welcome as well. Uh, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your love and your patience with us, that you are the Good Shepherd who does care for your flock, even when others let us down. We pray, please, that you'll help us to have a heart after your own heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure you know what it's like, hopefully not from too many experiences, but what it's like when relationships start to sour. Uh, the, uh, the signs that are there, uh, the, uh, whether it's a friend or a family member, a romantic partner or even a business partner, uh, you notice the other person's behaviour is, is a little bit different to normal. It's a bit more distant uh, there's changes, they get snappy at small things and at first you think, well, maybe they're just stressed, maybe something's going on at work, uh, maybe they're having a bad day, maybe they're having a bad week, maybe they're having a bad month uh, and, and you start to feel disconcerted by it all because, well, the behaviour's changed, uh, you, you, you feel anxious, there's hurt, and sad, worse and, and you, as you realise that something deeper is going on, that their convictions have changed about life, about who they want to be connected to, their convictions have changed about you. And, and then one day, wham, the friendship's over or the business relationship's over or whatever it might happen to be. A change of convictions has led to a change of behaviour and, and to a broken relationship. Uh, you, you see it in church life quite often, uh, very sadly. Someone seems to be a super clean Christian, a wonderful part of the, the Christian fellowship and the church, uh, but their behaviour starts to change. They get a little less frequent, a little less involved, a little less keen to meet socially with other believers. It's a bit harder to get in touch with them. They're always busy and never available and uh, a little bit w less willing to identify as a Christian and stand up for Christian things. And worldly values seem to be creeping into their, their choices. And at first you put it down to business at work. There's stress going on in their life. All the same, something's happened in their family. Are they Okay. But as it goes on and on, one day, sadly, you hear them say, I'm just not a Christian any longer. And it came from a change of convictions, whether it was because of the worldly um, kind of attractions that are out there and desires. And so, you know, in terms of valuing God, it sort of took a lesser place. It was a change of conviction uh, or a fake that they've substituted for the true and living God. But it's the signs that you see first, right? You don't see changes of convictions, you see changes of behaviour, you see relationships going sour. And, and when it happens in church, everyone's left feeling terrible. There's sadness because you miss your friends, you, uh, maybe there's some guilt, did we do something wrong, did we not say, did we, should we have said something sooner when we noticed? But, but there's also the spiritual anguish that you feel for them because they've abandoned Christ and they've abandoned the gospel and they're no longer on safe ground because their convictions have changed, right? And their choices have followed and the fellowship has gone sour. And, and that's what's happened and been happening in the churches in Galatia. We've been working through the book of Galatians now for several, uh, oh, a couple of months, and Paul's in absolute agony over what has happened to these Christians. It really hurts him. And in our passage today, he really puts his heart on the line as he writes what is really one of the most personal and emotional outpourings of the whole of the New Testament. 
Right? There's tears on the page. And, and though it's painful to hear, it's not, it's not a happy sermon, it's not a happy passage, uh, it shows us what a real pastor's heart ought to be like and is like, the agony that's involved sometimes uh, as being an under-shepherd of God's flock. Uh, a heart that, that should be tied up with God's own heart for his sheep. We, we read Ezekiel 34 as our other reading, which shows God's heart for his people, the, the frustration and the anger he feels when uh, there are false shepherds leading his people astray. But we also heard his outpouring of love as he makes the promise to come himself to care for his flock. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the stray, I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak, I will do it, says God. The very promises that he's fulfilled now that Jesus has come. Jesus, who is God become man, who is himself the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. So deep is his love and commitment to us. And that heart and commitment that God has ought to flow out into our hearts and our commitment to others. That's what Christian ministry is really all about. That's what it means to be a pastor, for instance, with the highs and the lows that come with that. But it's also what it means to shepherd one another as Christ's flock, uh, within the flock of God. Here's the reminder that it's not just a mechanical thing. It's not just about truth and it's, it's about people. People with hearts that need to be strengthened, people with minds that need to be taught. People like us who find it very easy to go astray and to lose the plot and to end up shipwrecked. And it's the great reminder that whatever we do in terms of truth and accuracy in our teaching and preaching, which is absolutely vital, right? Because the Word of God is our foundation, but it can't be done at arm's length. It happens in relationship as our hearts are bound together in God's cause and in the family that he's created. Which is why Paul starts out in our section calling them brothers and sisters as he starts the passage. It's a term of endearment. Yes, there's a doctrinal reality that we're brothers and sisters in Christ because, well, God's our Father. We've been born again into his family. We have the spirit that allows us to call him Father. And so I guess that makes us brothers and sisters, you know, <laughs> theoretically. Now, it's more than that. It's personal, isn't it? My brothers, my sisters, we, we belong together in the family of God. And Paul's feeling the real sense of family division as he writes. And so he says in verse 12, I'm begging you. It's a strong word. I'm entreating you. I'm urging you. This, this stuff matters, what's going on. So Paul's not a, an academic trying to win an argument. He's not trying to prove a point. He's not, it's not an intellectual issue at all. His heart's bound up with this people just as Jesus is bound up with his people. And so he issues this plea to them, begging them to reconsider. And because he's laying his heart on the line, it's part of the reason that this little section can be really hard to follow because it's, this is emotional outpouring. But, it, but it's basically structured in two parts, each of which uh, focus on a key question that he asks in, in the chapter here. And so in verses 12 to 15, Paul's looking back on their past relationship and how good it was. And, and it ends in the heartfelt question of verse 15, where, where then is your blessing? Because things have changed. And so then he turns to the present state of their relationship in verses 16 to 20. And the question is, 
have I become your enemy? Right? That's, that's how you're treating me. It's a harrowing question, a heartfelt question and a harrowing question. And so let's start with the heartfelt one. In uh, verses 13 and 14, Paul takes them back to the time that he was with them. And, and he reminds them of the heartfelt love they had, which, which had come about very unexpectedly. Right? He hadn't intended to meet them, verse 13. Uh, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness in the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as, as Christ Jesus himself. I mentioned a few weeks ago when we started this letter that at Galatia, which is the little section in red there, uh, sort of modern-day Turkey, uh, it, it, it's not a city, unlike all the other letters that are addressed in the New Testament. There's in, some to individuals, but most of them are to churches in a city. It's a whole region, right? It's in Asia Minor, uh, Galatia. And, and you can read about the time that Paul spent there in, in the region of Galatia in Acts chapter 14, the, the number of cities that he visited, Iconium, uh, Derby, Lystra, Tremendous things happen and people had come to Christ all over the area. But notice from verse 13 in our passage, he says that visiting Galatia wasn't part of his plans. He hadn't intended to go there. He's on his first missionary journey uh, and he'd only sort of, well, fortuitously, accidentally, well, or providentially as it turns out, ended up there because, he says, of a weakness of the flesh. Now, you may hear that phrase, weakness of the flesh, you think, well, maybe Paul's sounding a bit dubious there, right? That's, isn't that why people go to Thailand now, because uh, of a weakness of the flesh? But, but that's not what he means. What he means by is he was sick, or he was impaired, he was injured in some way. He was physically unwell. That's, his flesh was literally weak. What the exact issue was, he doesn't tell us. People guess it might have been malaria, because that was very common in the coastal region where he had last gone in Pamphylia. Uh, and, and maybe he'd been advised to go to the highlands uh, of Galatia to rest up, but we're not told. Whatever it was, God used what must have seemed like a real trial to Paul, something that caused him considerable suffering. I mean, he remembers it, right, All, you know, from the past, but God used it to bring huge spiritual blessing to the people of Galatia. And just as a side, isn't that so typical of God? Uh, his wise shepherd heart for his people. He knows far more than we do what's needed and he delights to redirect our steps through life circumstances, which we've got no control over. But he does it to bring about amazing things that we would not have foreseen. And because our lives are in his hands, even if we can't understand at the moment what his plan is, we, we trust that he's going to use it for our good and to bless others. And so whenever you're prevented from doing what you plan through illness or through circumstances that you've got no control over or through doors that close which you thought were going to be open, I thought this was going to be the obvious path I was going to go, well, when you find yourself in situations like that, it's good to remember there are no dead ends with God. He knows what he's doing and it's our job to trust him 
and honour him wherever we find ourselves, whether we plan to be there or not. And so Paul heads to Galatia because of this physical need that he has. But look how the Galatians received him, verse 14. You did not despise or reject me through my physical, my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ himself. I mean, if you go and read Acts 14, they even at one point thought he was a God and he had to tear his shirt over and say, I'm just a man. You want to worship the true God, not me. <laughs> what a reception. What a transformation that God worked in them that they should love Paul and welcome him in spite of everything, their pagan worldview, which should have given them every reason to despise and reject him. Not only was he a weirdo from this strange new sect going around preaching, right, that they'd never heard of, uh, you know, rejecting their gods, um, but he was seriously ill, which in their worldview was either uh, because he was uh, um, suffering from evil spirits or because the gods were displeased with him. Right? And so you, the way you reacted to someone ill around Asia Minor, especially a stranger, wasn't with compassion normally. Right? You backed right off. And Paul expected that, but what he found was the opposite. You received me as an angel of God, as though I was Jesus Christ himself. In fact, he says in verse 15, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. I mean, who would you tear your eyes out for if you could help them? <laughs> Not, no one, right? <laughs> You know, yeah, kidney maybe, but I, yeah. um, there's nothing they wouldn't have done for him is what he's saying. That's how much they love Paul. Can you imagine someone being willing to, to go blind to help you because they love you? But the important thing to see is what really lay behind it. Why would they gouge their eyes out for him? Why this love and generosity? Well, because, verse 13, I preach the gospel to you. Why'd they love him so much? Because he'd introduced them to Jesus. It was the fruit of the gospel working out in their lives. God, in his wisdom, took Paul to Galatia to spread the gospel. Paul began to preach that gospel despite his own personal difficulties and he found God changing the lives and values and hearts of these pagans as they turned to Christ as they responded to the gospel so they responded to the messenger with generosity warmth and an outpouring of of grace and love the same grace and love that Paul was imitating himself from his master by preaching the gospel in spite of his weakness the same grace and love God has shown us as Jesus laid down his life for us. And that's the blessing they'd received. God's transforming work in their lives, the sign of God's grace coming to them. It's a, it's a miracle of God's grace in them, a clear demonstration of Christian character, of Christ-like qualities forming in them, even though they were just baby Christians just starting out. We'll wait for the gang to go past. That's what ga grace produces. That's what the gospel brings about in people's lives in one word it's a response of of love and he's going to come back to love time and time again through the rest of the letter chapter 5 verse 6 for in christ jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision accomplishes anything what matters is faith working through love 
5.13, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement, love your neighbour as yourself. You have the spirit, well, the fruit of the spirit is love and a bunch of other stuff, like joy, peace, patience. That's the blessing he's talking about. That's the mark of gospel reality. That's the blessing, a life transformed by the grace of God to love like God. We come back to our passage in verse 15 in the heartfelt question, where then now is your blessing? What's happened to it? It's disappeared. This amazing love you were overflowing with, it, it's gone. More importantly, how are they going to get it back? And he's got an answer for that, actually. Uh, what's his appeal to them? Well, that's how he started the paragraph in verse 12. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also became like you. Become like me, follow my shepherd leadership. Have a heart like mine, transformed by, by God. Now, it's interesting because that's the first command in the whole letter. We've been going for more than half the book and this is the first time he's told them to do anything. Right? Become like me. He's talking about the way that he became like a Gentile in order to bring the gospel to Gentiles. He didn't stand on his Jewish separatism. He didn't regard the Gentiles as dogs outside the law beneath contempt, which all devout Jews did. No, because he's been taken hold of by Christ freely through the gospel of grace. He lived the gospel freedom in love to bring the wonderful news of sins forgiven and new life to, to the whole Gentile world, the place he planned and the places he hadn't planned to go. And he held on to that message of freedom in Christ even when it cost him, even when others weren't, even when Peter and Barnabas were led astray through fear of the circumcision party, which, remember, we were talking about a few weeks ago. Pretty tough when the leader of the whole church has started denying God's grace and believes now in works-based salvation. He, and he'd had to rebuke Peter and Barnabas, remember. We talked about that in chapter 2. And so he's saying to these Christians in Galatia who are being enslaved into adopting Jewish ritual and law as a means of salvation... No, become as I am, because I use the freedom that Christ gave to me to become as you are to bring the gospel to you. But it's more than that. He's also saying become as resilient in commitment to the gospel as I am. Don't let anyone steal God's grace from you. Because if you go back to self-justifying works, you'll end up destroying the church. And you can look at any church in history or today that loses the grace of the gospel, look at any of the cults, and what happens? It ends in rivalry, jealousy, religious pride, division, hardness of heart. It's horrible. You see what's going on? It's a battle for the heart of the church in Galatia as well as for the truth of the gospel. They, get, they go together. What's become of the blessing you had? But then he hones in on the present situation by asking the second question, the harrowing question, about how things are now between them. If it was this wonderful, we'd do any, you would have done anything for me, but have I now become your enemy? And once you understand the past, the, 
the present situation's just so stark. Has this man that you love so much now become public enemy number one? Well, if he has, it's only because the Galatians have changed. The gospel hasn't changed. Paul hasn't changed. But his fear is that they have. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? What's he afraid of? He's afraid that they're treating him as an enemy because they're actually enemies of the gospel. Their change of convictions has, has changed their behaviour and their relationship. You reject the messenger fundamentally because you reject the message. And again, look at any church or cult that moves from the gospel and, and hostility is always the result to everyone else. It's not a matter of neutrality when you reject the gospel of grace. Remember what he said back in chapter 1, that they've turned from the gospel to another one, which is really no gospel at all. But when you have a false gospel substituting for the real one, you can be absolutely sure that those who teach it and believe it are going to fight for it tooth and nail. But you see, that's the point about conviction, isn't it? If you've got convictions, you, you live it out. Uh, if, if you really believe something, it should change your behaviour. And the Galatians are being tempted and, and convinced to look at a different blessing. And behind it is these guys who've, who've rolled into town, who've hijacked them the day of verse 17. The agitator, he's called out several times in the letter already. He's called them the circumcision party. He's called them the Judaizers. Uh, we know who they are and they, they, we know who they're connected to. They're, they're you know, part of James's group back in Jerusalem. And, and they're well connected, right? They've got, they, they know people. They're impressive. But what's the weapon they use to manipulate them in verse 17? They court you eagerly. All right, well, how do you court someone? How do you court a girl or a guy? Yeah, you buy them flowers, you, you're nice to them, you, you sweet talk them. And what are they doing? They're they buttering them up. They butter you up because they want you with them. They, they really know how to make you Christians in Galatia feel special. But there's a very shrewd analysis in verse 17, isn't there? They want to exclude me, Paul, so that you will pursue them. Right? They're asking you to choose between us. The commitment they display to you, which is a big commitment, is, and they're very committed, is the very commitment they're going to demand from you. Which speaks to their motives. They're not doing it for your good. They're in it for themselves it's not a commitment to christ that they want to produce it's a commitment to them and it's so dangerous which is why he goes on to say in verse 17 that their purpose their motivation is not good it's evil what they're doing they, they want to shut the galatians out from paul to shut them out from the gospel that paul preached for their own glory and for their own benefit so they'll have more scalps in their trophy cabinet so they'll have more notches on their belts. They'll have a few more gross statistics and a bunch more zealots who'll defend them with vehemence and ardour. And Paul says, you've got to realise why this is happening. It is actually a big part of how you know that their teaching is wrong. Just look at their behaviour because behaviour follows convictions. As Jesus says, by their fruits you will know them. Their actions and motives are the absolute opposites to real Christian behaviour. 
These teachers you're now in bed with, they're deceptive, they're, they're manipulative, manipulative, they're self-interested, they're, they're committed to personal gain. It's all about control and conquest and it's about exercising authority and being known as great ones. It's nothing to do with self-giving love which comes from the gospel of grace. But then they don't really want to attract people to Jesus. They want to attract people to themselves and Jesus is just a means to an end for them. And now the unity of God's church is being shattered because of this supposedly deep new spirituality they're offering. No wonder it's breaking Paul's heart and he's in so much anguish over it. So what's to be done about it? He wants to rescue them from these guys. He wants to rescue them from the pseudo-gospel they preach, which relies on yourself rather than Jesus. But how's that going to happen? Well, the key is verse 19. Here's what needs to happen. His method for doing this, for winning them back to the real gospel is that he wants Christ to be formed in you. That's what he says of win the war. That's why Paul gave himself so unselfishly and unreservedly for them while he was with them in the first place because he wanted Christ to be formed in them. It's why he longs in verse 20 to be with them right now, to be able to speak warmly to them face to face rather than have to write this letter so that Christ will be formed in them. But what does that even mean? Sounds good. Um, it's not what Oprah means uh, or the new age gurus who talk about how everyone can take on a Christ consciousness right, and get in touch with the universe as they meditate and empty their minds and become one with the universe. That's that we can all turn into Christ. That's what, not what it means but for Christ to be formed in you. That's, that's just lies to draw Christians away from the real Jesus because they use the name. <laughs> Jesus didn't meditate his way and take on Christ consciousness. He wasn't a man who became Christ. He is the Christ because he's the Son of God, the Messiah. So what does Paul mean then about Christ being formed in them? What it means is he wants Christ to be the centre of everything in their lives. He wants them to know Christ's grace. He wants them to cherish Christ's gospel. He wants them to trust Christ's promises. He wants them to hunger and thirst for Christ's ways. He wants Jesus Christ to take root in their lives so they'll be transformed completely and it'll be evident in the new life for freedom and love that we're going to start looking at from next week. He wants them to see them flourish and blossom as Christ's people, as his gospel of grace anchors itself into every fibre of their being and it starts exuding out of every pore, right? You don't want to, someone to stink of sweat, you want them to stink of Christ, right? the aroma. That's his great concern for them. And that's the great concern of every real pastor's heart, isn't it? If you teach Sunday school or scripture, that, that's your great concern. If, if you run a study group, that's your great concern. If, if you do one-to-one with someone, that's your great concern, that Christ be formed in them. Always be pointing people to Christ. Right? Here's what John Calvin said 450 years ago. If ministers wish to do any good, let them labour to form Christ and not themselves in their hearers. I do not want you to be Joe. <laughs> right? there's, there's enough of him already. 
right? Maybe too many, according to you. Know, <laughs> uh, right? The world can only stand so much of Joe's. But, but Christ, they need more Christ. <laughs> right? That's the shepherd's heart. I must increase. Sorry, I must decrease. He must increase. Forget that one, right? <laughs> um, and that's the shepherd's heart. That, that shepherd's heart is why Paul's so perplexed, so disappointed, so despairing as he wonders if they're still members of God's family. That's, that's why there's the anguish of it all. He says, do we have to go through the birth process again? I mean, labour, labour's terribly painful. Do we have to go through it again, he says in verse 19? And so how will Christ be formed in them? How is Christ formed in anyone? Through the gospel. By pointing to it, by explaining it, by reminding of it, by exhorting people to do it, showing them how it differs from the alternatives, holding it up and holding it out as, as the greatest treasure you could ever have, which it is. Because only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, can save. And only the gospel can produce people who are like Christ. Now, I just want to draw a couple of conclusions or implications by means of asking you a few questions to, you can write them down if you want, challenge yourself on today, tomorrow. Um, how are you reminding yourself of the gospel regularly so you can soak in the wonder and awe of it so that Christ be formed in you? Right? How are you engaging with the gospel, thinking it through? Who are the spiritual voices that you are listening to? And, and who is it that they are seeking to form in you? Are they seeking to form themselves in you or Christ? Do you love those who are shepherding you towards Christ? I'm not, I'm not saying this so you'll love me more, right? But do you thank and share with and thank God for those who appointed you to Christ in the past, whether it's parents, you know, fellowship leaders, or people now, preachers, Bible study leaders, your brothers and sisters in Christ who, who pray for you and point you to Christ in the conversations that you have? Um, who do you need to call today because you see things are changing for them? And you love them with the love of Christ and you fear they're losing Jesus because you just see their behaviour changing and the, the relationship's changing. And who, who do you need to call to have that conversation with? Because you love them. And the last one, is your overwhelming desire that Christ be formed in people, in yourself and in others? that they may know him and love him even more than they like you? And are you prepared to say the hard thing when necessary, like Paul did, because you love them so much? Let's pray, Father. These are deep words as we see Paul's heart, his agony over the change in their relationship. And we, we think of those who have... We, we wonder if they've walked away from Christ. We... We pray that you'll be with them. We ask not for our sake, but for theirs, that you would form Christ in them, that you would help them to cling to the truth. We pray for those churches that have been led astray and those who've been involved in the different cults, that you might show them again the grace of the Lord Jesus, that he has done everything, that he is the shepherd who's laid down his life for the sheep, 
and that we can't earn our way to you. We pray, pray for your mercy. Help us to know how to relate to people like that, that we might point them to you rather than just score points. Father, we pray that your heart might overwhelm our hearts, that we might love like you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.